Good morning. We're going to be covering John chapter 4 today, and we're going to be talking about, uh, uh, we're going to be learning as Christians, we're going to learn from our Savior's examples. He has a desire for you to reach the lost world. You know, that's Jesus' desire for us, is that we go out there and reach the lost for Him. Yeah, so in today's lesson, we're going to be studying, uh, we're going to see Jesus as he meets this woman at the well, and we're going to see, he's going to demonstrate for us how we can become great soul winners, okay? Uh, that's going to be important. So the first thing we have to do is have a word of prayer. Maybe that'll help us a lot and get this thing running. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have that we can come and we can worship you by studying your word. I pray, Lord, right now you push aside all those things that hinder us. Push aside all the the problems that we have in this world, that we see the world around us in a different light. Help us, Lord, to see the world around us as Jesus sees the world around us. Help us, Lord, today to uh, care about others more than we care for ourselves. I pray, Lord, you help us with this time of pandemic. Lord, I know all of us are seeing people around the around our communities that are getting this awful disease and and virus and Lord this awful virus and uh, that are being affected and some are having serious health issues and some are even even passing away as a result of these things. So Lord, we pray now that you be with them. I pray, Lord, for the gospel today that where it's preached, it would be easy that your Holy Spirit. Pierce the hearts and lives of men, women, boys, and girls today because of your word so that your truth can be seen in their hearts and their lives forever. Again, thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so a little background on our scripture today. We're just not going to jump into verse 25 because verse 25, really the story is kind of summarizing the story of what happened. So I can't just jump in there. So we're going to spend just a few moments talking about the background to this passage today. See, in this passage today, we're going to see Jesus showing his compassion and his humanity. In verse 4 of this chapter, it says that Jesus said he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus had a need to go through Samaria. We'll see what his need was. And sometimes we need to think about that in our lives. Where do we go? What do we do? Why do we do it? See, now, understand, though, this was a strange request because the most Jews would go, you know, dozens of miles out of the way to keep from going in the land of the Samaritans. Little explanation about the Samaritans, if you don't know. I think we talked about it a little bit last uh, lesson we had, but the Samaritans these were people, these were kind of a mixed breed of people. They were part Jew and part Gentiles. And the Gentiles were whoever was in that region. So it'd be like today, the Jews and the Arabs combined together, and that's what formed the Samaritans. So you see, the Samaritans were probably hated by the Jews, and they were probably hated by the Arabs, because they were not pure either way. And the Samaritans as a whole then formed their own group and did their own religions, kind of a Morphodite religion from the Jews, uh, because they were not really Jewish. Any, they were not full-blooded Jews anymore in that, in that sense. They lost their identity. 
they're known as the, the they're they're part of the ten lost tribes, you could say. And these Jews were those that when the Syrians came in and they captured the northern kingdoms because of their rebellion against against God, they were taken back into captivity and other people were brought into this land to occupy it. Very few of the Jews were left behind, but those that were left behind, a lot of them intermarried with these Gentiles that came in and gave up their religious beliefs or whatever, or formed whatever they formed. And as a result, they were hated by the Jews. Um, now, I think the Jews hated the Samaritans not just because they were mixed breed, but because it was a reflection of their nation. The Samaritans was a reminder to them that they as a whole had everything. They had a mighty kingdom. They served God. They had a mighty worship. I remember Solomon and the side. If you go back and look in Solomon, when they dedicated the temple, all the glory of God that was seen. And here they are today. And they look over across the line and they see how their nation fell apart because of idolatry and sin. And every time they look at those Samaritans, they can see the sin that they, their nation, did. And so they really don't want much to do with them at all. Now, we know Jesus was not affected, though, by that. Romans 2.11 says, For there is no respect of persons with God. God doesn't care who you are. And, you know, today we have, in our society, we have this big thing going on about race wars, where people think that they should be treated differently because of their race. Or people are being treated differently because of their race, or their nationality, or their uh, their whatever. You know what? In our society, we should be treating people the way God wants us to treat people, and that is without any respect of person. Now, will I treat you differently based upon your behavior? Absolutely. Example, if you're a pedophile, I'm going to treat you in a different way than if you're a devout Christian serving God. I am just going to do that. Uh, uh, on the other hand, God, on the other hand, doesn't treat you differently. <laughs> uh, God treats all of us as sinners who need a Savior. we got to be careful of picking out our special sins. I don't want to digress on that one. The point is, Jesus had no respect to person. So it doesn't matter to him these Samaritans were needing a Savior just as much as the Jews did. Thank God for this statement, because we're not Jews. You know, I always say, when people say, well, what's your nationality? And I say, I'm a mutt. I'm a mutt. I mean, I've done some research back. I got some English blood. I got, you know, I, I got some, uh, mostly, it's mostly English blood, but the English people, where they come from? I mean, you know, was it German? Was it Italy? Was it... You know, uh, was it Roman? Was it, you know, where was it? Um, you know, some, some, uh, my great grandpa, uh, my grandfather, before he passed away, wrote a letter. And in the letter, he said, the last far as he could know was that, that, uh, one of my great great grandfathers came from, uh, Portugal. Uh, so maybe I'm Portuguese. Truth is, as far as God is concerned, it doesn't matter what we are. What we are is a sinner that needs to be saved. And that's what Jesus saw. So Jesus had no prejudice towards them. 
Jesus knew this woman. See, but Jesus knew everything. And Jesus knew that this woman, if presented the gospel, would accept it. See, God knows those who will be saved. That doesn't mean he predestines them to do so, but he provides an opportunity for those who diligently seek him. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, God wants all people saved. So notice that Jesus was not willing to go out of his way to reach this. Jesus was more than willing to go out of his way to reach this poor lost woman because she needed a savior. And um, so he was more than willing to do what he needed to do to do that. Okay, uh, we'll continue on. So, now no, even though Jesus was tired, his work wasn't done. Uh, we know that as God, Jesus never tired, but as man, he was prone to the same physical weaknesses that we are. He had to eat. He had to sleep. You know, he was tired. Uh, it was his, he was weary because he was here on a mission, and that mission was clearly stated. Luke 19.10 said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose. That was his mission. That was his, 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 his whole target in life was to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, so we see Jesus is seen waiting in this passage. We see Jesus is at the well waiting for this woman to come his way. And he sends the disciples into town to get some food while he's at the well waiting for the woman. He said, I must go to Samaria. And he knew, and he went to this well, and he waited. Now, he had a gift to give her. Now, no doubt this woman never thought that when she went to the well in that middle of the day, that she would meet a rabbi, and that this Jewish rabbi, which is a teacher, would want to have a conversation with her. Um, so we want to look at this woman just a moment. Now, this woman was a sinner in need of salvation. According to verse 6, it says it was about the sixth hour. It was about, so it was about 12 o'clock. Now, Jacob's well here is about a half a mile outside the village. And women typically went together in groups out of the city because you have robbers and you have other things. And so they went out the city together in the morning when it was cool of the day and got their water. And they no doubt gossiped and it was their bargain or they talked or whatever. And on the way up out there was a half a mile and on the way back. Well, this woman went out by herself at noon. Um, this meant she was a social outcast. She went by herself. We know the reason for this, of course, in verse 16 through 18. You know how she was; she had been uh, uh, married uh, five times, and the last guy she's with now is not her husband. So she's living in fornication. So she was clearly an outcast, and the people knew her. I mean, I mean, she'd been married five times. 
even in today's society, even though today we have a lot of people getting married and unmarried, five times is still a long time. A lot of times. Even in today's standard. So, uh, unless you're a, a Hollywood star, then you get married all the time. It's just, anyway. So now let's look at the scene just a minute. Notice that it's just Jesus and the woman. All the distractions of her life have been removed. It's just her and Jesus. None of the other ex, five ex-husbands are there, and her co current co-fornicator is nowhere around. It's just her and Jesus. Uh, none of the women who hate her or despise her or look down on her are there. It's just her and Jesus. Verse 9 through 12, we see that Jesus and the woman talked about wells. You know, when Jesus asked her for a drink, uh, apparently he had no means by which to draw water. You know, he was just standing at the well. And um, she was responded amazed that a Jewish, a Jew, you know, a Jew, you being a Jew, you're going to talk to me? Uh, it was considered inappropriate for a rabbi to speak to a woman in public. You just didn't do it. And the woman says, you know, you're speaking to me. And he said, listen, if you knew who were talking to you, you'd ask me for water, for living, for the living water. And now she's somewhat confused because of this. Because she confuses the physical water with the spiritual water. We do that in life. I just talked about it earlier. We look around us and we see the world, but do we really see the world? We see the physical world, yes, but do we see the spiritual world? Do we see the needs of people? Do we see what God sees when he sees the world? This woman did not see what God saw. This woman didn't understand when she says, I have water to give you that you don't have. So they talk about the well a little bit. But at this point, she's not ready to be saved. She's ready to argue about water. And about the well. You know, they talk about the water. She tells her that, uh, uh, Jesus tells her that she can drink from Jacob's well. And she'll still get thirsty. And she'll have to come back and draw again and again and again. But if he gets, if he drinks the water that he has to offer her, she'll be satisfied forever. But she's still confused between the spiritual world and the physical world. So then in verse 16 through 19, Jesus turns his attention then to her need for her, spirit, her spiritual needs. Because she was only still thinking about her physical needs. I'm thirsty. Uh, yeah, I'm thirsty. I drink from the water from the well. Okay. I don't understand. Uh, how can you give? Uh, you don't have anything to draw water from. Because she's thinking physical. So Jesus said, okay. Now that I got her thinking about needing water. I've got to make her see I'm not talking about the physical world, but the spiritual world. I've got to make her see that she can drink this water physically and drink again. But the spiritual well is what she needs to drink of, that she's dying, dying of thirst, needing this living water. Folks, if you're lost today, you're dying of thirst. You're dying of thirst. Um, and you need to drink from this well. Now, can you imagine the guilt of this woman? Because Jesus points out her sinfulness. He points out the fact that she was married five times. And that she was currently living with somebody that didn't that was not married to. 
He points that out to her. Can you imagine the guilt? This woman had been living with his guilt. That's why she went out in the middle of the day so nobody would confront her with it. And guess what? The Lord himself confronts her with her sin. You know, we can hide from people. We can close our doors and do things in private that no one sees. You know, we can keep things locked up in our brain and no one sees it when we're in the privacy. But see, God sees it always. This woman need to realize he need to rip open this, rip off this bandage and see that God sees you always. He sees everything that you do. And he had to make her see that her sin was seen. She couldn't hide from her sin. Jesus knew her heart was in constant turmoil because of her sin. People that are in sin feel bad about sin. Why? Because God convicts them of their sin. It's called, some people say, their conscience bothers them. Their conscience bothers them. What bothers them is the Holy Spirit pricking their hearts because the wages of sin is upon their lives. And they feel the pressure of sin. Jesus knew her heart was in constant turmoil because of her sin. Remember on the road to Damascus, Jesus tells Paul, or Saul at the time, it's not easy to kick against the pricks. You know that it was wrong. You know you're not living right. You know what you're doing is not right. You know it's hard for you because you know there's something wrong. He told this woman that. So Jesus got her attention. She's now ready to admit that Jesus is somebody special. So now Jesus has taken her from this casual conversation about water into the spiritual, moving her from physical realm into thinking of spiritual things. And when he does that and shows her her sin, she then can think on that way. You know, when you're witnessing to people, first thing we got to do is get a person lost before you can get them saved. They must recognize their sin. An easy way to do that is talk about your sin. What? I'm going to talk about my sin? Certainly. If you don't share your sin, if you don't share not your details of your sin, but if you don't share that you're a sinner, that you're not right, you weren't right with God, that you're in the same position they were in. The only difference is what God did for you, not what do you do for them. And you put yourself down with them. You show them that we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For there's none righteous, no, not one. See? But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gift. Nothing we can earn. See, bring them down. Jesus did that. He took this woman from her physical needs to her spiritual needs. And because of that, she recognized that he was a prophet. You know what? When you bring people from their physical world to their spiritual world, they're going to recognize that you have something that they don't have. That the Holy Spirit is upon you. And they're going to recognize something about you is different. And they will want it. See, Jesus showed her. And she said, then, I perceive that you're a prophet. But now, just like most people, once they start talking about religion, they're going to try to show you the knowledge that they have. Well, I know about God. I know about the Bible. Yeah, I went to Sunday school when I was a little boy or a little girl, you know. Oh, I know, I know about God. I listen. I see things, you know. They don't darken the door. They don't listen to God's Word. They don't stay. They don't open their Bibles. They ain't even own a Bible. Verse 24, they talk about worship. As the topic turns to religion... The woman proceeds to show Jesus that she's knowledgeable, right? She tries to start an argument about the proper place to worship. You know, our fathers say we worship in this mountains, but you say you worship in that mountains. And 
Jesus kind of ignores your jabs of that because if you're not careful, they can take you down these trails that you cannot get out of. Um, you know, is example, uh, where did where did Cain's wife come from? Where does Cain's wife come from? Well, the Bible doesn't say, but the Bible says obviously the only people that she could have come from is from her sister. Had to be one of his sisters. That's all it could be. Uh, back then, that was acceptable because there were nobody else to, to do anything with, right? So, uh, uh, you know, that was, the point is, that's where he came from. Uh, the, the, the idea, argument, can God create a rock too heavy for him to lift, then, then God can't do everything. You know, what type of argument? That Don't get trapped in those things. And Jesus was not going to get trapped in this discussion about the mountain. He kind of ignores this, and he puts her back on the spiritual path. He talks about true worship. It doesn't matter whether you worship in this mountain or you worship in that mountain if you don't have God. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter. What does it matter if Cain, where wife, Cain's wife came from? If you have that knowledge, but you don't have the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, it doesn't matter what you have that knowledge. If you know the perfect answer to that question, how does that benefit you? None. If you knew the answer, if you were absolutely right about everything in the scripture, but not have Jesus Christ in your life, it doesn't matter about that. We must move along. So we now get to today's lesson. Verse 25, the Lord, the woman said unto him, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. She says, you know, the Samaritans, by the way, acknowledge the first five books of the Bible. They acknowledge Moses' book and they expected the coming of the Messiah. And the Bible says, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. This, this which is called Christ, is probably not her saying, which is called Christ. It's, John probably inputs that in there to talk about when the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. You know, John's writing this, right? And he probably has this comment. Because we don't anticipate that the woman would know that with her lack of spiritual stuff. Uh, but anyway, when he comes, it says he will tell us all things. So, the answer to the question the woman asked did not reflect her own understanding. So she simply tells him, well, you know, I guess we'll know the real answer when the Messiah comes. And then he'll tell us who he'll tell us who's right. You know, uh, well, we'll figure it out in the end, right? When God comes back, that's when we'll know the answer. We all use that phrase, too. It's kind of what she said. Well, when the I know when the Messiah comes, he'll have the answer. He'll tell us all these things. So verse 26, Jesus says unto her, I that speak unto he and to thee am he. Jesus says, you're right, and I'm that person you're talking about. Now, by the way, this is the first time that he openly professed that he was the Messiah. And he does it to a Gentile woman, to a Samaritan, a mixed breed, which is probably appropriate because it was he she covered the she was aligned, she had the bloodline of the Jews and a bloodline of the Gentiles. So the first time Jesus proclaims who he is, is to the world. The Samaritan woman is a picture of the world, right? That has both the Jews and the Gentiles. Because see, God's message is for all mankind. Now, he had not publicly stated this to the Jews because the Jews would have uh, excited envy and opposition. And we see, we know that goes along. She seemed reluctant to listen to him as a prophet, interesting enough, but she was willing to accept him as the Savior, as the Messiah. Uh, so Jesus openly declares that he is the Christ, and by, and by some means, 
he might save her soul. He realized that she needed to know who he was so that she could be saved. You know what? We need to know who Jesus is to be saved. We do. You can't be saved without knowing who Jesus is. You can't. You have to know who he is. You have to understand that he's the Savior. You have to understand that he's the only begotten Son of God. Whosoever believeth in him, you can't believe in somebody you don't know. So she had to tell him who he was. Now Jesus gave us an example we said already about this. That the, it, he shows us to make use of the topics of conversation. You know, you can talk to people about the conversations of what's going on in politics today if you want to and find a way to convert that from the world of this world to the spiritual world. You know, the wicked walk on every, the wicked rage on every side when the vilest of men are exalted. That's, that is a very applicable today, isn't it, in our government? The wicked rage on every side when the vilest of men are exalted. So, verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seeketh thou, or talketh thou with her? Now, it said upon this. At this time, when Jesus is talking to the woman, we see now that the disciples come. Jesus is at the point of converting the sinner to be a saint. And at that point in time, the disciples come. And it said they marveled that he talked with them, but they wondered about it. Now, they wondered because Jews had no contact with the Samaritans, and certainly they weren't going to be talking with women alone. That was, you know, by themselves, that was just not heard of. Yet they said, no man asked us, no man said, what seeketh thou, or why talkest thou with her? Uh, none of the disciples, it said, no man, none of the disciples, what they mean, no man, because they were the only ones that were there, they had respect and reverence for Jesus. And therefore, they didn't dare ask him, why are you doing this? You know, they didn't understand his conduct, but they didn't ask it. They didn't even appear to uh, reprove him in any way. You know, that's important. Listen, we should understand that what Jesus does is right. Sometimes we don't understand what happens, but we know Jesus, is, Jesus God has a plan, and God's plan is right. God has a plan for our lives. And sometimes, as Christians, things don't go the way we want them to go. But God has a plan. Have you ever looked back on situations when you wanted something and God said no, and then you see today that it was better? Let me tell you, I had an opportunity. I've, you know, I've had opportunities to apply for jobs in my lifetime and in my career, and I've been turned down. And I was the best candidate by far. So why was I turned down? Because God knew that that's not what I wanted. I didn't even realize that. It took me years to realize this is not, God kept telling me no, 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 no. Even though I was the most qualified candidate. Why? Because that was not what God wanted me to be. Here's what he wants me to be. Doing what I'm doing now is what he wanted me to do. And those positions out of the way that I had applied morphed into something else that I would never have wanted to do. So the point, God knew that. See, God has a plan. So even when you can't understand what Jesus does, Understand what Jesus does is right. So the disciples knew that. Verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men. So she left her water pot. Hold it. She took these water pots out there to get water. And after meeting Jesus and after being saved because she understood and she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior, as the Messiah, 
that nothing else was important. She left her water pots. Now you think, well, she could have easily gone if she would go back into town. She could have took her water pots. No, because water pots would have delayed her entry back into town. So she left her water pots. She had more important business at hand. This was a burning urgency to tell others a true sign of salvation. James chapter 2, verse 18 says, Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy works without thy faith. I mean, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. This woman immediately worked. See, we have evidence of her salvation because she immediately went to work. Verse 29, Come, see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? See, this is interesting. I learned this this time that as I studied, that as believing Jews and Samaritans, one of the Messiah's main signs that would be his ability to read your life without ever seeing you before. They knew that when the Messiah came, he would be able to tell you things about you that there's no way you could have known. That was a sign that they were looking for. And here Jesus does exactly, he provides the sign that they were looking for. See, it wasn't perchance, it wasn't happenstance. This is another confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah. Isaiah 11, 1 and 3 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of God shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. He will know things. He will just know things, not because he learned them, but because he's God. See, he will know them because he is God. There's no way this man could have learned something about this woman until now. He just knew them. He had proven to her evidence that he was the Messiah. This evidence satisfied her that he was the Messiah and that he told her all things that she had done. There perhaps was more conversations than what was recorded here because John only recorded the things that we know we needed. We know that from his book. He said if, if everything was said and done, the pages couldn't contain it all. Remember he says that in, in the last part of his book, his chapter. Uh, so therefore, the question she submitted to them was whether this was satisfactory proof that he was the Messiah. Listen, I found a man that meets this criteria. Verse 30. And when they went out of the city and came to him, so a simple testimony of the woman was so convincing because the Spirit of God was in it. Folks, we don't have to have power, powerful oration skills. We don't have to have to try to find a way to trick somebody into knowing the Holy Spirit convicts people. John 6.44 says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. See, no man comes to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. The Holy Spirit is in the convicting business. I've always said this. I am responsible for the effort, not the response. See, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict souls and to persuade men. My job is to present the gospel, to present the truths that he has given me to share who Jesus is and what he did and what he continues to do for me. That's my job. That's your job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to pierce the heart and to convict men. 
No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. He says, and these men then, after being told this, after the Holy Spirit working through this woman pierced these men's hearts, they came to him. It's actually, they're actually saying is, we're coming to him. Because we're going to see now in a minute, a split screen is going to take place in this message. If you were videoing it or watching it on the screen, it would say a split screen. But they didn't reach him immediately, but they were coming. It was a half a mile out. Uh, because all the, the discourse between the disciples and Jesus took place at the same time that the woman was out there witnessing. So we can have two things running simultaneously on the screen. This woman witnessing to men and getting men to come, and the disciples' discourse has to follow. So they're all the same thing at the same time. So we see on verse 31, in the meanwhile, <laughs> in other words, while this is going on, his disciples prayed to him saying, Master, eat. See, the disciples were concerned with the spiritual, the physical health of Jesus. They, again, were focusing on the spiritual world. That's what they could see. And they could see that Jesus was weary and tired and needing food, hadn't eaten in a while. They knew that he was greatly spent, that he no doubt had to be hungry and fatigued. Sometimes we see that people in this life are tired and weary of the struggle. Verse 32, but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Jesus turns the focus of the short-term physical needs to more important spiritual needs. He, again, wants them to see, to turn their eyes from the world and his physical needs to looking at the spiritual needs and the spiritual realm and what he's doing. The disciples were focused on the wrong things. You know, yeah, we need to eat, but delaying eating a meal to win the loss is always worthy of hunger pains in my experience. You know what? I always wonder about that. Homecoming. We have guest people come to homecoming or services to eat. And the first thing we do is we want to get that chicken leg before these guests do. Listen now, I'm talking to I'm talking to the church. You know I am. We want to fight to get in front of that line first so we make sure we get it. Because we get to the end, there ain't no beanie weenies left. There ain't no pigs in a blanket left. Right? They're all gone. There ain't no barbecue weenies. You know what I'm talking about. We want to be the first in the line because we want to make sure we get ours. We don't care about these guest people. We're focused on the physical needs instead of the spiritual needs. Listen, what are these guest people going to come, these visitors that come through the line, and they get there and there's no food? Yet they see the church people over there pile full of food. What does that say? He says they're more focused on the spiritual, on the physical than the spiritual. And Jesus said to them, listen, these short-term hungers doesn't mean anything. Church, sacrifice yourself for the needs of others. They're going to look at the physical world. You've got to help see, show them the spiritual world that you're different. Jesus says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Let me tell you, in that situation, we got lost people coming to your church and you have a guest when you have food and all. Yes, guess what? We've got food that they can't see. The food is them. They're our meat. They're our main course. Not the barbecue or chicken. They are. Guests should always go first. You hear me? Because we care about them more than we care about ourselves. And I'm going to tell you something, even being ugly. I'm almost in the, in the uh, uh, senior citizens group too. Depends on what age you grow with. But you know what? Even the even then, we should be focused on the needs of others before our needs of ourselves. 
So we should have let that be way. That's here there. He said, I meet thee that you know not of. Jesus wants his disciples to learn from his example and be willing to suffer the loss. 1 Corinthians 6.13 says, Meat for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. See, God says we were created to do his will. Not the things that we desire to do with our bodies, but to do the things that God wants us to do with our bodies. So, verse 33. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? You know, now they know Jesus had been supernaturally fed before, so they're again thinking again, still. You know, they remember Elijah was fed by the ravens and ministered to by the angels, and that Jesus was fed in the wilderness after his victory over Satan. So, you know, maybe somebody else fed him. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So, Jesus said, My meat, my meat, my meat in this case is the things that sustain me. The things that sustain me in this life is doing the will of God. It's to do the will of him that sent me. Jesus said that what sustained him was his knowledge that his purpose was to do the will of the one who sent him, God the Father. The will being to seek and to save. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose, to be here, not to eat, not to get his belly full, not to rest, but to do, to be spent for God. How many times are we spent for God? How many times do we miss some sleep for God? How many times do we go hungry for God? How many times do we do anything that's going to make our life uncomfortable for God? Jesus said, listen, my job, my meat is to do the will of God. And then he says, and to finish his work. In John 19, 30, Jesus said, and when therefore he had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Listen, Jesus Christ suffered on this lifetime for the spiritual things for us. He died on the cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life. Yes, he could have had pleasures in this lifetime, but chose to suffer because he had meat that we know not of. Paul also understood that. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have, I have kept the faith. See, Paul went on and had his head cut off, but he was satisfied because he had fought his fight. This was more important than eating food. Verse 35. Say not ye, there are four months, and yet then come the harvest. Normally, you plant seeds, take four months to get your food. This was not the case. He said, listen, the seeds of life, which I just sown a few hours ago, are about to come forth in abundance. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Jesus said, look. Look here. He tells the disciples to lift your eyes and look at the fields over which likely the Samaritans were starting to come in troops. They were being guided by this woman in the front who had already received the light of the gospel. Can you imagine the smile on her face as she approached Jesus to share the good news that all these souls are being saved and being put into her account because she was willing to go and share the gospel. Even though she was ridiculed, even though she no doubt was looked down upon, she swallowed her pride and said, yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm going to show you somebody who's not. 
I'm going to show you somebody who's got the answers. Disciples tells, Jesus tells the disciples that the multitude of Samaritans are coming to believe in me and to be saved. They're probably wearing some type of white remnant. Look, look at all that white coming. Verse 36, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto the life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Simple fact, that if you are a reaper in Jesus' days, you receive wages for your work. So we see here the reaper we're talking about, well, we're not talking about this reaper is of wheat, but of reaping the souls. It says, And gather fruit unto eternal life. To gather fruit into eternal life, the fruit is new souls. And guess what? To gather that fruit, one must reap. You must reap it. You must harvest it. We must get into fields of work to receive any reward. Galatians 6, 7, 9 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that, shall also, that he shall also reap. For he that soweth in the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. But he that soweth in the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Then he said, Both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. So the sower and the reaper, who are here, one and the same person, rejoice together. Who sows and who reaps. Having seen the seed time and the harvest time take place on the same day. In this case, the sowers did not have time to even leave the field. They sowed it, and as soon as they sowed it, it grew back up. And they had to immediately reap it. Guess what? They could say, no, no, I'm waiting till tomorrow to reap it. I'm tired today. No. Jesus said, no. If you're tired, it doesn't matter if you're tired. Reap it today. The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. Verse 37. And therein is this true saying, one soweth and another reapeth. See, Jesus said, some of you are being sent to preach the gospel. Some of us are being called to preach the gospel. Others are to gather the fruit by winning them based upon that word. It's a perfect example of the church, isn't it? I mean, we sit in the churches today behind our, or behind our screens here with the pandemic, and we listen to God's word being preached. Some souls now will be saved during the service, no doubt. But they're limited in their attendance. So it's up to us who hear the word to spread the gospel in the field, to gather those souls through personal evangelism. You know, now let me ask you something. Suppose you do not know how to win a soul today. Let me tell you, if you don't know how to win a soul today, stop everything else you're doing. Stop all of your daily devotions. You hear me? Stop your devotions. Stop reading through the Bible. You hear me? Learn how to win a soul. That is the most important thing you can do. Learn how to win a soul. As you learn to win a soul, then go back to your devotions. Then go back to your, because now you're learning, you're feeding, you're learning how to gather these quivers, these arrows into your quiver, these stones into your bag as David had. But until you know how to win a soul, that's the most important thing you need to learn how to do because God is relying upon you to go out and win souls. Verse 38. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye entered into their labor. Jesus tells his disciples that there was other people that go before them. The prophets of old labored. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all ever I did. We see success that woman. Many of those Samaritans were saved because they believed what the woman said. 
this lost woman who had five ex-husbands and was living in fornication, and she instantly got these people saved. See, it doesn't take long. She was concerned about souls, and the Holy Spirit led her. We just, she just told them what she had experienced, and she told them what she knew of Jesus. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans were gone unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. What a great revival. It lasted two days. It held over for two days. It appears there was no miracles. Jesus healed the sick and all that. We didn't hear that here, did we? They didn't need that. Miracles were not needed to convince these people because they heard with their hearts and they believed. They believed what they heard. They were simple-hearted, teachable people. And they credited him as the evidence of his own eternal truths. They didn't need the miracles. See, today we don't need the miracles because we have the Word of God. We have the truth of God's Word. They didn't have that back then. We have it today. Verse 41 42. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the people, women, Now we believe not because of thy sayings, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. We heard ourselves on seeing and hearing the word, the faith of those who had already believed on the woman's testimony was abundantly confirmed. And besides those, others that heard not the woman speak, but came anyway, they heard. The, wind, the many people who heard the woman speak were saved because of her words, but many more came just for the crowd and heard Jesus speak and was saved. This is indeed the Christ, the promised Messiah. Conclusion. Today we see Jesus giving us an example of how to witness. He shows us how to handle the conversation and keep focus on the main things. He shows us that we can labor on the works of those that came before us as we work for those that will follow. Finally, he shows us that leading souls to the Lord is everybody's responsibility. That we need to all look on the fields of humanity. That is ripe for the harvest, but the laborers are few. Matthew, I'm going to leave you with Matthew 9, 37-38. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is, is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers, unto his harvest. Or is God using you today to win the lost? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time we have we can study your word. I thank you for your testimony. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, we don't need those miracles today because we have your word. And we know we experience the miracles in our lives because we're saved. We know as, as a filthy, rotten sinner as myself who has no worthiness am a son of God, a child of God, an heir to the throne because, Lord, you have shed your blood to me and I know I need to share it with others. Thank you, Lord, today for your word. I pray, Lord, today, if there's someone listening today that don't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day. And if there's Christians listening, today would be the day they get serious about serving you and, and learning to, to lead others so that they might follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.